Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. In Formula One, it's not just typical to see crashes, it's expected. But Christian Fittipaldi's crash in the 1993 Italian Grand Prix at Monza wasn't at all what anyone expected. For Fittipaldi, a second-year driver better known for his famous last name than his driving abilities, the 53-lap race had gone well, driving a Minardi M193, a decent car powered by a Ford HBD V8 engine. Fittipaldi and his teammate Pierluigi Martini were just about to land a 1-2 finish in 7th and 8th place when Martini suddenly slowed his acceleration and Fittipaldi clipped the right rear tire of his teammate's car at 195 miles per hour. Fittipaldi's car did a full backflip, lost two tires, and then all but skidded across the checkered finish line. The crowd gasped. The man waving the checkered flag stood just a few meters from Fittipaldi's flip. It was a miracle he didn't die. Today, we're talking not just about Christian Fittipaldi, but the Fittipaldi family as a whole beginning with Christian's two-time F1 champ of an uncle, Emerson Fittipaldi. How did Emerson open the door for a whole new slew of Fittipaldis to join the F1 paddock? How did his older brother, Wilson, fare as an F1 driver? And which one of Emerson's offspring could be the first to follow in his footsteps to become an F1 champion? All that and more on today's past gas, the legendary racing dynasty of Emerson Fittipaldi. I don't want to be insensitive because we were just talking about a pretty bad accident, but uh, Pierre Luigi Martini sounds like a character in Ratatouille. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like a like a fancy drink too, like a pear. Oh yeah, can I get a pear Luigi? Yeah, pear Luigi's like the kind of vermouth yeah. or the kind of gin. Can I get a pear Luigi Martini? <laughs> You want it uh, dirty? <laughs> Filthy. <laughs> yeah. I want it to taste like the ocean. <laughs> Gross. 
How are you guys doing? Great. Doing well, Joe. It's last day before holiday break, and I'm ready, man. Uh, we've been really hustling to, to give everybody uh, two weeks off, and that means that I've shot a ton of videos and recorded a bunch of these here podcasts, so I'm ready to just turn off, quit being a heightened version of myself to entertain. <laughs> uh, I'm exhausted. My brain hurts. My personality is just aching. Man, are you having like I mean, an existential crisis? No, man. I'm just like exhausted. Like I can't wait to put my personality on ice for two weeks. <clears throat> I'm like losing my voice. Yeah, I feel that too. What are your plans for the Christmas break, James? Well, I'm probably just gonna tomorrow wake up, draw a nice hot bath, get in it and stay in it till January 2nd. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Cool. I'm just hoping that my skin don't fall off my bones. <laughs> I'm going to turn into carnitas. Oh, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I went to, I went to see Jerry do stand up yesterday oh, yeah, how and was he killed that? it. He killed it. And Catherine killed it, his girlfriend. Um, but I mistimed it and I just didn't forgot. I forgot to eat dinner. And so I was at the Thai restaurant across the street eat. I ate a plate of calamari for dinner and a glass of whiskey and it oh, kind of oh messed God. me up. Yeah, man, that's a bad combo. <laughs> I did, I was it was a very poor ordering. Uh so I'm dealing with the consequences. You sound like a uh like that's what like a rich walrus would eat for dinner. <laughs> yeah. I was like cuz I was I didn't of leave myself enough. And kings. <laughs> Something my tusks won't get caught on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll have the calamari and a nice glass of whiskey. <laughs> you got a top hat and a monocle, big old bristly whiskers and you're wearing like a overcoat. <laughs> yeah, that's how it happened. He's a land a landowning walrus. That's what he eats for dinner. And then I go to this stand-up show and like <laughs> clap with my flippers. <laughs> yeah. That's like a food decision you make when you're really hungry. You're not really thinking about the the intestinal logistics of that combination are way out of mind. Tell more walrus jokes. <laughs> I have a good sense of humor about it. My teeth are huge. Yeah, he's pointing at his teeth. He's like, pick me my teeth. Look, there's oh, a these are pretty silly, huh? Sits, I'm also single. <laughs> sits in the front row. Roast me, roast me. Oh, man. It's part what? of the show. It's part of the show. <laughs> Uh, welcome to Pass Gas, everybody. Uh, we are not a walrus stand-up show, although I kind of wish we were now. Dude, we should start a walrus stand-up podcast. <laughs> if you're new to the show, you know. Like a narrative podcast about a walrus chasing his dreams of being a stand-up comedian. You ever seen a walrus? <laughs> <laughs> the mustache gets in the way. <laughs> My teeth are so big. If uh, you're new to the show, this is usually how we warm it up. Uh, you know, just... A lot of non sequiturs and, you know, just getting in the zone. Um, I'm joined. I'm Nolan. I'm your host, Nolan, joined by my other host. <laughs> Hi, here. I'm Nolan. I'm Nolan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that voice you just heard is James Pumphrey. Yo, what's up, America and all around the world? It's time for some peace geese. You can follow James at James Pumphrey on all platforms. And my other co-host over there, we've got Joe Weber. Uh, jingle, jingle, bench. Welcome to the new year. 
You can follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. And you can follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Um, yeah, today we are talking about Emerson Fittipaldi. Guys, does that name ring any bells for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of bells. <laughs> Jingle bells. I actually don't know a lot about Mr. Fittipaldi. I know that's a name. The Fittipaldi name holds a lot of cachet in F1 circles. You definitely recognize the name. I know him because he's one of the only South American racers of fame. So, and he's, you know, he's so prolific. And obviously his family is keeping the tradition alive. Uh, I don't know anything about specifically his personal life, though. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to learning more about this guy. Um, So let's get into it. Emerson Fittipaldi, or Emo, was born in 1946 in Sao Paulo, Brazil, to a prominent motorsports journalist and radio commentator, Wilson Fittipaldi Sr., and his wife, Juzy. Oh, that's a good name. A Russian immigrant. Yeah. J-U-Z-Y. Cool name. Juzy was the parent who insisted on naming her son after Ralph Waldo Emerson because she was a fan of his work as a champion of individualism and a leader of the transcendentalist movement. Yeah, she loved the path less taken. That's that's a cool... I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's unclear whether Emerson ever connected to his namesake, but he was inspired by his father's love of motorsport from an early age. Both of Emerson's parents had raced production cars, and in 1956, his father was one of the founders of the first Mill Mill House, a sports car endurance race held in Sao Paulo, an event that has since become one of the longest-running motor racing events in Brazil. And if I totally butchered the pronunciation of that race, I'm sorry. Originally, based on the 1949 Italian Mille Miglia, Wilson Sr. had the connections to media and sponsors required to support the inaugural event. That's pretty awesome. I've always wanted to stage like a vintage rally race uh, in wine country in Paso Robles. There's a lot of really twisty roads back there. And I think great. it'd be really sick. What would you drive? Uh, I, I'd just chill. No, <laughs> dude, we got to get you a car. <laughs> we'll get you in there. Get me a... I, I'd try to get a uh, um, Sam Posey's Challenger that he'd raced in, in Trans Am. That's not wine country car. You got to have like a little drop top Ferrari. They're paved roads, Joe. They're paved, they're roads, paved roads, Joe. Get your head out of your ass. What are you talking about? It's a tarmac rally. I still think you need a little tiny boy. Yeah, you need like a little open top Ferrari yeah, got, or something. We, we definitely got to put some displacement uh, limitations on this rally. Ah. Three liters, two point two point five liters. This is my fantasy rally. Yeah, and I'm, my rules. And I'm right. making the rules. <laughs> Every lap you do, you have to drink a glass of wine or what? Ooh, all right, that's not safe. Yeah, but fun though. <laughs> <laughs> But let's get back to Emerson, guys, although we are going to talk about his family plenty in this episode. By 14 years old, Emerson was racing motorcycles, and by 16, he had moved on to hydroplane boats, which sound way more high-tech than they are. Hydroplanes are lightweight boats that skim over the surface of the water. However, while racing one day, Emerson's older brother and racing compatriot, Wilson Jr., blew over while going 70 miles per hour and landed upside down in his boat. So that's when too much air gets caught under your boat and you flip over. The hydroplane pocket expands too much. Think of throwing a piece of paper across the ground. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice analogy, James. Uh, Although Wilson was uninjured, the incident effectively convinced both Fittipaldi brothers to quit playing around on boats 
and stick to land as nature intended. Hey, quit playing around on them boats over there. You're going to flip <laughs> over. I want to try out uh, hydroplanes yeah, at some point. They're little boats. They're these little baby boats, and they go they go fast. Is that the really tight like racing that they do? That It's kind of like swamp racing, and they do really sharp turns. What's that no, about? No, no. Jet boats? That's I forget what that's called. Um, that's like rally, almost like a rally kind of thing, because they have a co-driver. No, uh, hydroplanes are usually just on oval courses on a lake. Oh, okay. Or river, very cool. Usually powered by two two stroke little engines. They're sweet. They're kids super race sweet. There's like kid classes that go up to like fifty five. Fifty five is a very old for a kid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the Fittipaldi brothers' interest in motorsport, their father was reluctant to help them finance their burgeoning hobby. Fortunately for them, it didn't matter much. When Emerson was a teenager, he crafted a custom steering wheel for his mother, which then developed into a thriving custom car accessory business. Then he and Wilson Jr. began to build their own carts, and they were successful enough that Emerson became Brazilian kart champion at the age of 18. Let's jump ahead a bit to 1967, when 20-year-old Emerson won one of his first major sports car races, the Six Hours of Interlagos, while driving a Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. That's, that's a track that uh, F1 races at. The following year, he won the 12 hours of Porto Alegre. He and Wilson Jr. then quickly moved into Formula V's, a popular open-wheel, single-seater junior motor racing formula. They use uh, Volkswagen engines. They're very slow, but it's uh, very it looks close fun, racing. Though. Yeah. In just his second season in Formula V, at 21, Emerson won the Brazilian Formula V title. Emboldened by his wins in Brazil, Emerson left for England in 1969, and despite only being able to speak his native Portuguese, he was determined to convince team owners of his talent within three months. When Emerson arrived, he began racing in Formula Ford, an entry-level class of single-seater, open-wheel Formula racing. After victoriously landing on a few podiums, Emerson was quickly snatched up by the Jim Russell Driving School Formula 3 team. This dude absolutely cleaned up. He won nine F3 races in the Jim Russell Lotus 59 and became the 1969 champion. In 1970, Emerson had nowhere to go but up. To Formula 2, where he signed with Lotus. He ended his first F2 season in a respectable third place after six points finishes and four on the podium. Nice. It's a good season. He was ready for the ultimate test. Formula One. Formula E. Uh. <laughs> in 1970, Team Lotus was one of the top F1 teams thanks to their huge piles of sponsorship money and strong set of drivers, Jochen Rint and John Miles. Due to the cash flow of Team Lotus founder Colin Chapman, who some people say is still alive, was able to use the third seat on the team as a testing ground for young drivers. That year, the third seat went to Alex Solaroig, and then to Emerson, beginning with the British Grand Prix in July. Once again, Emerson absolutely shredded the competition like so much carnitas and placed fourth <laughs> at the German GP. However, things changed quickly for the young driver after Jochen Rint was tragically killed at Monza. He also became the only driver to win the championship posthumously. Wow. 
John Miles was greatly impacted by his teammate's death and left Lotus shortly thereafter. And so Emerson was promoted to number one best Lotus boy on his, <laughs> fir- um, on his fifth ever F1 race to take place in the Estados Unidos. And did he crush? You know it. In his first drive as lead driver, Emma won his first ever Formula One race. Wow. During his first full year with Lotus in Formula One, Emerson finished sixth in the Drivers' Championship. Then in 1972, Emerson was armed with one of the best Formula One designs of all time, the Lotus 72D. This black and gold baby resembled a wedge on wheels, inspired by the earlier Lotus 56 gas turbine car and its layout taken from the Lotus 63. This is a John Player car? Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's black and gold. This is the best livery this one or the Senna Marlboro one is pretty good. Yeah. Either way, as long as it's got cigarettes on there, I'm mm-hmm. aboard. <laughs> I'm partial to the Lotus with the, the camel yeah. uh, paint job. Well, there used to be lots of cigarettes in racing. <laughs> lots of cigarettes. Now there's just vape companies using uh, sh- shell companies to, to sponsor. Can't wait to see what crypto companies oh sponsor God, the F1 they teams. Sponsor the, they sponsor the whole series. I know, I know. It's lame. I can't wait for the Lazy Apes uh, sponsorship <laughs> to come in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The shape made for better air penetration at higher speeds. And in back-to-back tests with the Lotus 49, the 72 was 12 miles per hour faster even though the cars had the same Cosworth engine. Oh, yeah. The 49 didn't have any arrow on it. Yeah. yeah. Better arrow, faster. Better arrow makes you faster. The 49 is just like a tube with wheels. Hey, whoa, very whoa, fast. whoa. What did the 49 ever do to you? <laughs> well, the 49 looks like a squid, and it's making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, get out of here, walrus. <laughs> I own this building. What? <laughs> may I may I trouble you for a fresh fish? <laughs> Though there were issues with its suspension in the 71 season, by 1972, everything had been smoothed out. Now, all Emerson had to do was drive. You want to go for a drive? You want a toothpick? 
(laughs) (laughs) And drive, he did. Emerson managed to win five of the 11 races, easily clinching the driver's championship at only 25 years old. Emerson was officially a world champion only three years after first arriving in Europe. And at the time, was the youngest champion in F1 history. According to his F1 Hall of Fame opus, his strengths included a delicate touch and calm approach that kept him out of trouble, and an analytical mind that made him accomplished at tactics and strategy. He was also known for being refreshingly unassuming. That's a quote. (laughs) And the media and public enjoyed his good humor during interviews. This guy sounds great. Yeah, you can't really pick him out of a crowd, and he's nice to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Emma expected that 1973 would be just as great as 1972, but unfortunately, his new teammate, Ronnie Peterson, was just playing faster. Peterson had nine pole positions to one for Emma, and and managed to win four races to the Brazilians' three. However, Emerson's consistency won out, and his results landed him in second place, just behind Jackie Stewart. Wow. For the 1974 season, Emerson decided to switch things up and signed a super lucrative deal with McLaren. Driving the highly efficient and iconic McLaren M23, Emerson was once again a force to be reckoned with. Despite winning two races and placing on podium four additional times, Emerson and Ferrari's Clay Regazzoni entered the final race of the season to be held in upstate New York with an equal 52 points. Oh, so yeah, this is the last time that two people were tied going into the finals, right? I believe so. Whoa. Until this year with uh, Lewis and Max. Whoever beat the other would be 1974's driver's champion. And wouldn't you know it, Emma pulled it off. There you go. The following year, 1975, Emerson placed on podium four times with two first place wins, but unfortunately lost the championship to the unstoppable Nicky Lauda. And in 1976, Emma shocked the motorsport world by leaving McLaren to race with his older brother, Wilson Jr.'s new Fittipaldi Automotive team. The team would be sponsored by Copper Sucar, a Brazilian sugar marketing company, and Emma was determined to make it work. That's kind of like annoying. That he leaves McLaren? No, you're like a two-time world champion, and your brother's like, hey, I'm going to start a race team. You should be on my race team. Okay, what are you sponsors? Oh, it's like this sugar company. (laughs) You have a good car? I don't know. You got any cigarettes? Yeah. Unfortunately, this move marked the beginning of the end for Emma's domination. Though he stayed on the team for five years, he never got closer than 10th place in the driver's championship again. He decided to retire in 1980 at the ripe old age of 33, citing the many deaths of his colleagues as well as his unbalanced work personal life as the reason. By the time he hung up his uh, race suit, Emo had been racing in F1 for a decade, but he didn't quit the biz entirely. He stuck around the paddock to help Wilson Jr. manage the team. Unfortunately, just two years later, in 1982, the Brazilian sugar money ran out, and Fittipaldi Automotive team was no more. I mean, he kind of squandered his career, right? Yeah. Well, here I see it like you're a two-time champion. You don't really have a lot left to prove, really. You've done it twice, and I mean... Owning a race team was probably the Fittipaldi, Fittipaldi brothers' like dream when they were younger, yeah. so they have the opportunity to make it happen. And, I mean, how does a Brazilian sugar company run out of money? Isn't that like one of their main exports? Mm-hmm. That must have been some mismanaged 
Well, maybe I, they didn't say that the company went bankrupt. They were just like, you know what? We're oh. we're not going to do this anymore. Gotcha, gotcha. The car's pretty cool though. It's a nice yellow. And uh I'm partial yellow. That's so colorful and just vibrant. I love it. It's like a banana shooting through the forest. It is like a big banana, Joe. It's like a banana with stripes on it. <laughs> Would this be the end of Emerson Fittipaldi's racing career? Uh, no, not by a long shot. Though he went home to Brazil to help run the family citrus farms and auto accessory business, Emerson could never quit racing. In 1984, at 38 years old, he joined CART. It's a racing organization. We we should definitely talk about it in a future episode because like IndyCar and CART split. Uh-huh. There's like they were competing promotions basically. It's very it's, it's an, complicated. It's an open wheel uh, racing series, very similar to Indy. Yes, yes, and they drove like Indy style cars basically. He spent his first season getting used to the the cars, and then eventually joined Patrick Racing as an injury replacement. He spent five years with the team and won six races and had solid finishes in the overall standings. By 1989, though, Emmo had officially gotten used to IndyCar racing. He managed five wins, one of them at the Indy 500, and placed in the top five of every race he completed and became the 1989 CART champion. Toot toot, baby. In 1990, he was picked up by Roger Penske for his racing team, a team he continued to thrive on. Emmo maintained his reputation as a top driver for kart and won at least one race with Penske for six straight years. Pretty good. Despite his dominance in the sport, the name Emerson Fittipaldi is best known for a single controversy in the kart world. In 1993, Emerson won his second Indianapolis 500 out from under the nose of F1 world champ Nigel Mansell. As most of our listeners probably know, It's tradition for the winner of the Indy 500 to drink a bottle of milk in Victory Lane. But Emmo owned several orange groves in Brazil, and so he chose to drink orange juice. Honestly, probably better. (laughs) Better for hydrating more vitamin C. It is crazy. Like, you just did this insane race, taking an incredible amount of physical energy. Yeah. And then you have to go drink a big thing of milk. It's gross. And if you and if you don't drink the milk, you don't get the trophy. That's the last <laughs> obstacle. Yeah, they call it the final lap. Yeah. <laughs> Emerson was only the second driver to not drink milk at Indianapolis since the tradition was founded in 1936. And as you might expect, the fans were pissed. Oh, my God. Get over it. Even though Emmo chased his orange juice with milk. Oh, God. What? (laughs) No. (sighs) The fans were so outraged that he forfeited $5,000 from his winner's purse and had to publicly apologize to the American Dairy Association. God, I hate this world, man. (laughs) That's so weird. But the milk snub would not be forgotten. Oh, my God. Emma was booed a week later in Milwaukee. Well, of course, no, that's I'm milk sorry. country. <laughs> I apologize on half of on hey, behalf well, of Milwaukee. Hey, you don't like no cheese curds neither, then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Go yeah. back to Mexico. <laughs> you can make it up by chugging all these cheese curds. Chug these cheese curds and eat this beer. Yeah, Milwaukee <laughs> was the center of the American dairy industry and hometown of our very own Joe Weber. Oh, 
and actually the woman who wrote this script, Christina. There you Joe, go. you made it into the pod. You made it into the cast. Nice. Me and Emerson Fittipaldi, side by side. Joe or James, can I get a Joe voice real quick? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm from Milwaukee. We like cheese curds. Uh, anyway, many fans held it against Emerson for, for years. M.O. has had to publicly apologize and explain himself many, many more times, including when he returned to Indianapolis to drive for Chevrolet in the 2008 Indy 500. Despite it being 15 years after the incident, he was still booed and heckled oh by the God. fans during the parade laps. Uh, they're, they're just having fun at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's a good <laughs> bit at this point. Um, Emerson stayed in cart until 1996 when a broken neck at the Michigan International Speedway forced him to retire. Michigan, tough track. He finished his career with 22 cart wins, but couldn't stay away from the track for long. In 2003, he returned as a team owner for the Fittipaldi Dingman Racing Team. Do you think Dingman was like, I want my name first. <laughs> Dingman Fittipaldi. Fittipaldi Dingman just sounds better. Yeah, I agree, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Try as he might, though, Emerson really couldn't stay away from the driver's seat. Just two years later, in 2005, Emerson made a surprise return to competitive racing in the Grand Prix Masters event held in Kailami in South Africa and finished second behind fellow F1 driver Nigel Mansell. Then, three years later, in 2008, he and Wilson Jr. entered the Brazilian GT3 championship, driving a Porsche 997 GT3 for the WB Motorsports team. It had an Animaniacs livery on it. <laughs> Is that real? No, no, that's no. not real. <laughs> no, that'd be sick though. He also <laughs> raced these semi trucks. What? Did he? Yeah, that's cool. Since then, Emerson became chairman of Motorsport.com in 2011, and in 2003, he started writing a monthly blog on McLaren's website. He also loves to throw his opinion into the mix, and has recently gone on the record of his approval of F1's new sprint qualifying races. Probably one of the only people to <laughs> do that. <laughs> uh, I kid, I kid. But this isn't an episode just about Emerson Fittipaldi. It's about his family's legacy. And with seven kids, let's just say there's a lot of family to cover. Beginning with Emerson's brother, a man we've already lightly talked about, Mr. Wilson Fittipaldi Jr. Wilson Fittipaldi Jr. was born on Christmas in 1943, which means he might be a werewolf. <laughs> it also means wait, wait. Yeah, if you're born on Christmas, you might be a werewolf. According to what logic? Uh well lore. Lore. Yeah, lore. lore. <laughs> yeah, you know, lore. <laughs> Ancient lore. <laughs> it also makes him Emerson's big brother. Wilson Jr. was often referred to as Wilson Ho, which means little Wilson. And became a motorsport enthusiast as a child alongside his brother. Now, we've already told you a little bit about Wilson. How he flipped the boat in his teens, built a successful series of carts with Emmo, and how he even ended up with his own, albeit unremarkable, F1 team. But there's more to Wilson than his relationship with Emerson. Kind of. They're both werewolves. He chugs pineapple juice. <laughs> Remember when Emerson struck out on his own and flew to Europe in 1969 only to win the F3 championship that same year? Well, it was his big brother that set the example. In 1966, Wilson flew to Europe to race for Formula 3. 
Unfortunately, it went a little differently for him. Due to conflicts with the team he drove for in Brazil, his opportunity to race fell through, so he flew home. Wilson didn't return to England until 1970, following his little brother's success in F2. That year, he entered the British Formula 3 with Jim Russell Driving School, driving a Lotus 59, and got to a Bark Championship round at Silverstone. That's a sentence. (laughs) Uh, He ended the season with good results, including wins in two non-championship rounds, and this helped him move up to Formula 2 in 1971. Hmm, Good for him. That year, he got the opportunity to race alongside his brother for Team Bardal Fittipaldi in a Lotus and March chassis. He even got on the podium in Hockenheim and even placed fourth at Ruin and and Mantorp Park. By the end of the season, his results had garnered enough attention to secure a contract with Brabham for the 1972 Formula season. Brabham. (laughs) Brabham, Grabham. It's the only team name that sounds like an engine. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Wilson proved his mettle when he got on podium at the 1972 Brazilian Grand Prix, but it wasn't a championship race, and therefore... No points. No points. My wife. The following year, he scored his only Formula One points with a sixth place in Argentina and fifth in Germany. Before the Fittipaldi's, only three pairs of brothers had raced in F1. Jimmy and Jackie Stewart, Pedro and Ricardo Rodriguez, and Ernesto and Vittorio Brembilla. However, none of the siblings had ever competed in the same race. The Fittipaldi's not only competed in some of the same races, but were the first to score points in the same race. Yep, Emma placed behind his big brother in Germany. But he frickin' won in Argentina. In 1974, Wilson took a break from driving to set up Kapusukar Fittipaldi. The team joined Paddock in 1975 with Wilson as the sole driver and unfortunately only managed six finishes, the highest of which was 10th place. Then in 1976, Wilson stepped down from driving in Formula U to manage his team when Emerson joined from McLaren. Although his career total was three points scored in 1972 and 1973 with Brabham, even though it seems meager, this makes Wilson the most successful sibling of a Formula One champion until the arrival of Ralph Schumacher in 1997. Whoa. Wow. Look, just to have even one Formula One point is uh I mean that means they had a pretty cool pretty cool time. Yeah, I still I still have to earn my first point in Formula One. How many points yeah. did I have this year? Four million, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty much the best. <laughs> it's it was you and Max and Lewis vying yeah. for that championship. I don't know how Max won if you had four hundred four million points though. Yeah. FIA baby. <laughs> Did you see it? the FIA is blaming the fans for all the confusion? It's not good. It's not good, man. Toto Wolf. Toto was having a great time in Abu Dhabi, though, after the race, that's for sure. That's for sure. Saw him partying. He crowd surfed. Face I down. They, I, I, I saw thought him partying. Alcohol was illegal in that country. What were they drinking? <laughs> <laughs> We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. But like Emma, a retirement from F1 didn't mean he was totally done driving. 
In the 80s and early 90s, Wilson won several rounds in the Brazilian Stock Car Championship. 1994-1995, he won in the classic Mil Milhas race, the race his father founded, and got to drive for Porsche with his son, Christian, in the former race. Cool. In 1998, he returned to competitive driving in the Brazilian Stock Car Championship. In 2000, he was a guest driver for Mercedes at the Nürburgring round of the FIA European Truck Racing Cup, and he Hell finished yeah. in 8th and 11th. Then he took an eight-year break, but came back in 2008 race alongside Emmo in the Brazilian GT3 Championship, where the two drove a Porsche 997 GT3 for the WB Motorsports team. Again, with that incredible Animaniacs paint job. <laughs> I would kill to drive a semi-truck around the Nürburgring. Yeah, That'd dude. be so I, fun. I just looked it up. It's a sick semi-truck. Do it look like a banana? No, it's like red, white, and blue. Though Wilson's record isn't very well known, his Formula One legacy doesn't end there. Let's talk about his son, Christian. Oh. Now we're, we talked about lore earlier, when, how it concerns the werewolves, but this is some deep Fittipaldi lore right here. Uh, Christian Fittipaldi, Wilson's son and Emerson's nephew, made his debut in Formula One in 1992, taking his first point at the 1992 Japanese Grand Prix. This event made Wilson and Christian Fittipaldi the first parent and child to score points in Formula One. Huh. Others have followed in their footsteps, like a ton of others. But that's pretty cool. But let's jump back a bit. Christian made his debut on Earth in 1971 and named after Christian Hines, a lesser-known Brazilian driver who died during the 1963 Le Mans. He also uh, invented ketchup. <laughs> His early racing days aren't really unique, but it's safe to assume that he was inspired by his father and uncle to pursue karting and later race cars. By the time he was 17, Christian placed second in the 1988 Brazilian Formula 4 Championship. The following year, he finished third in the South America Formula 3. Then in 1990, he won the Formula 3 Sudamericana title and placed fourth in the British Formula 3 Championship. Pretty good year. At the age of 20, Christian competed in Formula 3000 in Europe, where he won twice and placed on the podium an additional seven times. He won the championship. Is it Formula 3000? Is that like uh, three liter engines or something? It's like another open wheel series. Yeah, three three liter. It's spaceships. Correct. Yeah. It takes place in the year 3000. Oh. You got to take a time machine to go. Deltron's there. Yeah. I hope there's not space traffic. <laughs> nice callback to a video you made three years ago. Hell yeah. That was ambitious. That was so ambitious of us to make that. And I feel like I still watch it from time to time and be like, what were we thinking? <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> yeah, we made a, uh, if, you're, if you're totally out of the loop for episode, was it 50 or 100? Episode 50. Yeah, we made we made a a musical episode of Wheelhouse about the history of of car stereos. Yeah, and man, nobody else has done a musical episode. So nope. I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> I mean, we we have so much like fun clips to use. Oh, it's, uh, it's for a lot of fun. Everything now. It was a lot of fun. Uh, our our boy. Uh, High Def the Chef on Instagram. He's he makes a bunch of funny rap videos. Yeah, Henry Hyde after Chef. He like makes comedy rap. Uh he helped us out. He's also coming back to Donut Baby. Yeah. Right. Hell yeah. So 
Uh, that was just a lot of fun. Anyway, back to the story. In 1992, at 21 years old, Christian made the leap to Formula One as a driver for Minardi. The team wasn't the best on the grid, and Christian only scored to score a single point during his first season. 1993 went a little bit better. He scored five points, but the team fired him with only two races left in the season. It's not entirely clear why he was fired, but we can make what a fifth grade math teacher would call an educated guess. It was the crash at Monza. Oh, that we uh, opened opened the, the episode with. Bringing it around now. Remember that when we talked about the car flipping backwards? Yeah. Okay. Ah, I remember that from the beginning. Wow. <laughs> this story's <laughs> like a calamari ring. It just comes back. <laughs> hey. Dude, somebody say calamari. <laughs> no, no, no. Get him out of the studio. <laughs> I can fit so much calamari on me, baby. He's tusks. taking way too much room in the studio. These things. <laughs> this reminds me of a. Poem I once no, read. he knows poetry too. Do you guys care if my friend Justin Long comes over? Uh, Kevin Smith. <laughs> a wish, a wish for a fish of fish. A dish of fish would be delish. For I'm to wish for a dish of fish. <laughs> Is he taking lessons? This is like is he... the worst Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> Give me all the fish. You... <laughs> That's aggressive. Um... <laughs> the 13th out of 16 total rounds in the 1993 season was the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. And after performing an accidental yet still amazing backflip in his Minardi M193, the race ended with Christian in his two-tired car in eighth place and his teammate Pierluigi Martini just ahead of him <laughs> in seventh. Pierluigi Martini. Martini later <laughs> claimed that he had broken his fifth gear, so he had to move from fourth to sixth, which is why his acceleration shuddered and Christian made contact. This didn't or doesn't stop Christian from absolutely ripping his teammate apart. In an interview with Motorsports.com published 22 years after the incident, Christian calls his former teammate a fool, idiot, dirty, and an imbecile. He's go to his, he goes to his uncle's blog. Of course it's going to be, you know, like, on this Let guy. it go. Well, Let it also, go, he gets fired after this incident. I mean... Yeah, you know it's a long time ago. He should probably move on. Yeah, twenty years. Yeah. Anyway, if that wasn't aggro, if that wasn't aggro enough, he also said, "Quote: I have nothing against. I have nothing against him. But for me, him and a trash can on the street is the same thing. (laughs) 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 It's a misdirect. (laughs) You thought I was going to be nice, but I turned out to be very mean." <laughs> so again, if we had to make an educated guess, it seems like Minardi let him race once more and then realized he was kind of a loose cannon, regardless of who was responsible for the accident. But Christian landed back on his feet when he secured a spot on the grid for the 1994 season with Footwork Ford. He earned two fourth places and a total of six points in the championship, but by the end of the season, Christian decided to leave Formula One and head to America. Okay, so like, why is he still harboring these feelings for? Pierre Luigi, if he was able to get a ride the next season, things worked out. He's a trash can on the street, a trash can on the street. I fill him up with trash and then he's on the street. Oh, hello, garbage man. You pick 
picking up that guy? That's not the guy. That's a trash can full of trash. <laughs> ah, okay, drinks for everybody. Get two for the walrus. <laughs> I wish I wish for a dish of fish. I wish I wish for a dish of fish. A dish of fish would be delish. And if I wish for a dish of fish, you give me all this fish, you... <laughs> Wow. Wow. That was really good. Well performed, too. Oh, wow. Ah, I went to Juilliard. <laughs> oh, wow. This guy's so multifaceted. Like his uncle before him, Christian decided to try his hand at cart. And though he never won a championship in his eight-year cart career, he was still a driver who could be counted on to get the job done. And though he was only in contention for the 1999 championship, he did manage to play second at the 1995 Indianapolis 500 and won Rookie of the Year in his first season. So, you know, solid. You get to drive race cars for your job. You know, you can't really complain. Not that he is, but I'm just saying. That's cool. Then he made an unexpected move to NASCAR, making three appearances in the Bush Series in 2001 and 2002, but he didn't really impress. Then in 2003... He made a one-race deal with Andy Petrie for the Daytona 500 and made a handful of appearances for Petty Enterprises in the ARCA series, which is the entry-level uh, series. Then there was a short period where he drove the infamous number 43 car for a time but struggled with the position and was reassigned to number 44. If you're a number 43 man, that's the king's number. You got you to gotta deliver. That's the king's number, baby. It's Richard Petty, baby. If you thought that Wilson Jr. was the only junior in the Filippoli clan, <laughs> you are dead wrong, pal. But we forgive you for being such a naive idiot. Emerson, yes, our OG had a son named Emerson Jr., also MO for short, born March 7, 2007, when his daddy was 61 years old. Wow. That's some old seed right there. That's some old <laughs> seed. That's what you call heritage seed. <laughs> heirloom. That's what you call heirloom. That's what you call heirloom. All right. All right. <laughs> Good God. Uh, Mo Junior is now 14 years old, so you know what that means. It's racing time. After two years <laughs> in junior cards, Mo moved up to join the Sauber Junior team in the F4 Danish Championship and received third place with a total of 231. Oh, nice! But he's not the only direct descendant of Mo. Hmm. Number one, he's not the only direct descendant of Mo. Number one, which is a weird way of saying he's not an only child. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, Emerson Fittipaldi Sr. has seven kids, including a daughter named Juliana. Although the women in his family don't seem to be interested in racing, that's a whole other conversation, honestly. Juliana's kids sure are. Enter Pietro and Enzo Fittipaldi. Uh, Enzo Fittipaldi is a sick name. Yeah, Yeah, that just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. If you're an F1 super fan, you might recognize Pietro Fittipaldi as the Haas Test and Reserve driver. He's also the first grandson of an F1 driver to become an F1 driver himself, which is pretty cool. At the time of this recording, Pietro is 25 years old, but he became Haas's official test driver in 2018 at 22 years old. He's best known for replacing Haas driver Romain Grosjean in the Sakir Grand Prix at the, after the driver's horrible accident at Bahrain. 
Even though Pietro started and ended in last place, team manager Gunter Steiner <laughs> said, yeah. I think Pietro did a great job considering he drove the car for the last time a year ago. <laughs> Pietro also drove in Grosjean's place in Abu Dhabi this season finale, qualifying in 19th and came to 17th due to other drivers' penalties. Despite his record, he kept his role as Haas's test and reserve driver for 2021, mainly because it's not his fault Haas had had a run of non-competitive cars. According to his grandfather, Emerson, I'm so proud of Pietro. He's a great driver. <laughs> I ain't going to make a brother for him. <laughs> make him a brother. <laughs> Come here, wife. At age 20, Enzo is the younger of the two boys, but it seems like he could follow in his grandfather's footsteps of being a better driver than his older brother. Enzo carted his way through childhood starting in 2009 at eight years old. In 2016, moved to the Janetta Junior Championship team with Douglas Motorsport. He also became one of five drivers to join the Ferrari Driver Academy. I'm sure the Fittipaldi name didn't hurt. I'm also sure the fact that his name is Enzo didn't hurt. And it's, I am a named after you. I am a named after you. In 2017, Enzo signed with Prema Power Team for the Italian F4 Championship. His first season finished in ninth. Then in 2018, he won the whole shebang. Hey. He stayed with Prema to compete in the 2019 Formula Regional European Championship, where he won two races, scored 11 more podiums, and finished second in the championship. In 2020, he joined HWA Race Lab in the 2020 FIA Formula 3 Championship, got a best race result of fourth in the final race of the season, placing 15th in the standings. He then jumped to Sharu Racing System for the 2021 F3 season and scored his first and only podium in race two at Hungarong before being (laughs) bumped up to Formula 2. It'll be interesting to see where he goes from there. As his grandfather Emerson put it, He's doing well, and it is his dream to race Formula One. <laughs> For the last of Fittipaldi Legacy, we're going to talk briefly about Max Pappas, the husband of another one of Emerson's kids, Tatiana. Frankly, Max Pappas is kind of a goofball caricature of a driver. He tries his hardest and nearly achieves glory, but seems haunted by bad luck. Pappas started off as any driver does by participating in karting and racing clubs during his teen years. Then, in 1995, after a brief spell as the Lotus team's test driver in 1994, Pappas joined the footwork team for seven races in the middle of the 1995 Formula 1 season. Turns out he brought valuable sponsorship money to the team. In racing, like in many pursuits, money opens doors, baby. Money opens doors, baby. Money talks. Knock, knock, it's money. (laughs) Keys open doors. Pappas had a checkered career in kart champ car racing before ending up in NASCAR for a few years. Most interestingly were the events of the 2013 NASCAR season in an event we here at Past Gas call The Slap. We talk about it all the time. We say, remember The Slap? We can't stop talking about it. At Road America, Pappas found himself spun out in the last few laps by driver Billy Johnson. After the race concluded, oh, Billy, Pappas <laughs> ran up to Johnson and slapped him in the face. Nice. Whoa. They were separated by officials, <laughs> nice. and Pappas nice. later apologized to the press for his actions. But this was not the only slap of the season. 
After the Camping World Truck Series inaugural race at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, Pappas was celebrating a sixth place finish in the event when a fellow driver's girlfriend slapped him and dislocated his jaw. Oh, my God. Why'd she do it, though? Well, he had crashed into her boyfriend's car on the final lap. There you That's go. Okay. These guys got to have a pretty weak jaw. Unless she slapped him with, like, a brick. Dislocating? I mean, she probably hit him with, like, the... The palm. Oh, the palm. She must have just hit it with the palm. Yeah, right there. Dislocated it. In Formula One, it's not uncommon to see a brother or a son of a driver make his way to the paddock. But it's very rare to see the same kind of success that the first in-family member had. Even though Wilson Fittipaldi's F1 career paled in comparison to Emerson's, he's still one of the most successful siblings of a Formula One world champion since the start of the sport. And he and Christian were the first parent and child to score points in Formula One. There's something to be said for nepotism in Formula One. Quite a lot of somethings, actually. But ultimately, it's not all that unusual for families to follow in their own successful family members' career footsteps. If you've got the drive, attention span, and quick reflexes of a Formula One driver, chances are your offspring and other family members will too. But until another Fittipaldi crushes it like the OG Emerson did, these teams are arguably paying for the Fittipaldi name more than the individual's driving abilities. Hey, honey, let's go make some more drivers. Yeah, come here, you young wife. I've got some heirloom <laughs> for you. Are, are Emerson Fittipaldi's slowly turning into this <laughs> fancy walrus? <laughs> A wish I wish for a dish of fish. A dish of fish would be delish. So if I wish for a dish of fish, you give me all the fish. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. I'm like Eminem. <laughs> all right. Well, as always, we're going to end this episode with an email from one of you. Joe, take it away. Dear Pass Gas Crew, my name is Brian. Been a huge fan of Donuts since the first Up to Speed video on the 180SX and have been ah, watching wrong. almost. <laughs> wrong. Not the first. First was GTR or was Skyline, so. No, we did that one with Chris Forsberg. The first Up to Speed? I think maybe he's just referring to the first video we did on that 180SX. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, I remember that. Damn, this guy's a better fan than me. <laughs> and have been watching almost every show since then. Also, past gas, of course. Have to say thank you to everyone in Donut that contributed and give us such great entertainment. Thanks, Brian. I'm from Hong Kong, and the car culture here is pretty amazing. With the size of just 0.01% of the USA, the car scene here is incredible. From JDM nuggets like K-Cars, JDM collectibles like GTR, NSX, supercars, to multi-million dollar hypercars like Koenigseggs, Paganis and classic cars like the F40, F50, few of the only RHD in the world. So many bizarre and rare cars that cannot be mentioned in a few words. This got me into thinking, what makes Hong Kong, this tiny place that doesn't even have enough space for everyone to park, have such a rich and colorful car culture? Or what other crazy cars are so rare in the world can actually be found here? It would be so epic to see you guys make some content on Hong Kong. Best regards, Brian. For sure. Thanks, it sounds Brian. awesome. Thanks, Very Brian. vibrant car culture over there, for sure. I'm down. Let's put it on the yeah. list, man. Can you, Brian, can you fly us over there? 
<laughs> we'll record in your house if you want. Yeah, dude. The first up to speed was with Chris Forsberg. It was called Nissan 240SX, Nine Must Know Facts, Up to Speed, Donut Media. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. That's a great title. No, I think we retitled it. Oh, we put it out on February 18th, 2016. So Brian is a OG fan. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you very much. OG. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Dude, I'd love to go to Hong Kong. That'd be tight. All right. Well, if you'd like to hit us up, uh, email us at passgas at donutmedia.com. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know who your favorite F1 driver is and why. We're always looking for episode suggestions for sure. Um, yeah. Follow the boys at Joe G. Weber. Follow James at James Pomfrey. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes if you'd like. Big thank you to our producers today, uh, Thomas Willett and Gavin Kinsel, and our writer, um, Christina Felski. Christina Felski. Great script today. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. See ya. Bye. Bye. Look, keep your head on a swivel out there, fellas. Bye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.